0: Welcome to you. Welcome at New Linux. Welcome at Homer. We're so glad to have you guys all here. Welcome online. Uh, we have incredible worship here, and I know you guys have at our campuses. I've gotten the chance over the last couple of weeks to go uh, spend some time at all of our campuses and a little bit of time in worship. And it just kind of reminded me, I had this conversation this week with a friend of mine. I just I just want to encourage you, man, what goes on in worship, What like, like, like the worship part, the song part, you know, it's not just warm up or the sermon. I mean, God, we're inviting God into the presence that we have here. He's, you know, we're inviting him in to worship here. My, my buddy shared with me this week, I mean, he's a, he was a, you know, he was a, he's a tough dude, you know, and he would never raise his hands and worship and, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, I, you know, that doesn't matter. You do whatever you want to with your hands. But, but he was just kind of like, you know, I'd send there through the worship and, and then all of a sudden one, one day I was, I was in the worst possible time I could be in. I was having so many troubles, and, and, and worship happened, and he said, all of a sudden, like, somebody raised my hands for me, you know? I mean, like, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't not put my hands in the air, and he said, instantly, I felt at peace in the most troubled time I had in my life. It's because of what God does in our midst, and I, I'm afraid that sometimes we just, you know, we just kind of like go through the thing, you know, got to do the song and listen to the sermon, and you know, do the do the whatever. Uh, you, you guys, the, the presence of God is here, and we're inviting Him in. And whatever it is that you need, He's here. He's available for you. And I, I've been, like I said, I've been sharing with some of the campuses, with all of our campuses recently, just some of the stuff that God is up to. No big announcements about anything. We don't have our next campus worked out yet, but, but we're, we're coming up with some great ideas and we probably will soon. Uh, I've been sharing about like our, our mission work Our the church that we planted in Brazil is going great. Our work in Malawi, where we've taken the whole country and adopted it and trained 1300 pastors so far in an eight month program to help the country. The election is Tuesday over there, which is actually Monday for us. Um, and and it, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a tricky deal because it the guy who should win the election. For the president of Malawi is an Assembly of God pastor, and he's he's our friend, and he's going to be somebody that's really going to help the country. But the politics, it, you know, I mean, there's just, it's just, it's just civil unrest is there. And so I just want to be, have you be praying over the next couple of days about the election that doesn't get, you know, it doesn't turn into a Chicago election, you know, yeah. vote early, vote often, you know, you know, I mean, because that's kind of what could happen. But, but but just amazing good stuff going on. And I shared a little bit about, about my book, What Made Jesus Mad. If you didn't catch that, I'm going to be preaching through that in June. And I, it's really been kind of interesting to me because I really felt like God gave me this assignment 10 years ago. I've been working on this book for 10 years. And some of you know, I mean, we did what we did. We called it, uh, what would Jesus hate? And, and, and we did a couple sermon series on it and I got an agent and I tried to get the book published. And I mean, I got rejected by probably a dozen different publishers. Nobody wanted it. Anyway, it just didn't seem like it was It was God's time. And, and this is a book about the heart of Parkview, because the things that make Jesus mad are getting in the way of the outside people getting in. That was always, the, I'm going to give you the spoiler alert, that's always what it was, but I couldn't figure it out. And, and, and then, you know, I, I kept plugging away and I did a Life on Mission project, and now all of a sudden, um, I've got a bigger platform, we sold enough Life on Mission books, I got the right agents, and the timing is right in, in America, because I think we're at a much more pivotal point right now for this book because the people on the outside are just leaving in droves. The nuns, N-O-N-E-S's, fastest growing religious group, and that's what this book is for. So I just want to encourage you, if you've got, if you're a person that's skeptical about religion Um, you need to be at this series. And if you've got friends that are skeptical about religion, this series is going to be for them. They're going to walk in, and they may not buy it. They may may not buy it. I mean, they may not buy the idea that, that Jesus really loves them, but they're going to hear some stuff about how dumb the church is and gets in the way so often, just like it did for Jesus. You're going to want them to be here and be a part of it. My target audience for this book is the prodigal son's best friend. So it, it, you know if that's you um, I, I hope that I hope that you'll be a part of it and in the meantime he brought God brought me connections to you know now, a lot of the most influential Christian leaders have endorsed the book, and even random, if you follow me on, uh, on any of my social media, random connections like R&B star and pastor Montel Jordan, who, uh, you know, endorsed my book and gave me a couple of shout-outs also, and is going to be with us in November. Him and his wife, they're going to be sharing the stage with me, and we're going to be talking about his journey, and he's going to be performing tonight on American Idol, it's like the largest stage in the world. He's going to be doing this is how we do it. I mean, I mean, those kinds of things. So you got to watch tonight whether you watch it or not. I mean, those kinds of things are, are just, you know, it's just God's timing. And, and, and there's so many good things that are happening, so much good stuff that's getting ready to happen. And, and, and so for the first time ever, my blood pressure was up this week when I went to the doctor. I mean, I don't have high blood pressure, but, but you know, the nurse took a reading and then I started talking to my doctor and she goes to Parkview, you know, so I was talking about all of the cool things that are going on and all the exciting things that are going on and 2,600 more people for Easter than we had last Easter, which is insane when you think about it. And uh, 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 you know, we started talking about it and then she took another reading and my blood pressure had gone even higher. Thanks a lot, Dr. P. I mean, that, that's what was going on for me. Pastor Richie said at, at New Lenox the other day, when we were together, he said, I feel like God is, we're in a season where God is getting ready to blow the doors open. And I don't even, I mean, I think he already is, but I don't even know what that's going to look like. It kind of feels like this to me, um, really, you know, <laughs> sometimes. But, but so, so what I wanted to do is, I, you know, as we were talking about FOMO, I, what is it we need to be thinking about and preparing for? Well, what is it that we need to be ready to do, and what does FOMO do with that, fear of missing out? How, how, what should we do to be able to bring heaven to earth and take earth to heaven? That's what, that's what the question is, okay? That's our goal. Um, got a tattooed on my arm. What's our goal? Heaven to earth, earth to heaven. So how does that happen? And this is going to seem like a strange twist, but, but I'm going to use a teaching that I got from Pastor Louis Giglio uh, a couple of months ago. Passion guy, good pastor down in Atlanta. Um, Dave Ramsey brings in the the FPU guy who's preaching here in January, by the way. brings in um, He brings in all these great people to help the pastors, large pastors, large church pastors, uh, kind of figure out how we help people understand money and generosity and, and partnering with God. And, and so he asked Louis to speak this year, and he just did this amazing message based on Palm Sunday. So stay with me, and I think you'll see what I'm doing. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me, right? Nothing crazy, just a couple of donkeys. But, but you know, like, the disciples have to be going, um, Jesus, are these our donkeys? Uh, you know, I mean, what, 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 are we stealing the donkeys? I mean, what if the donkey asks us, what, what are you doing with my donkeys? If anybody says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. Okay, I, I want I want you to I want you to hang on to that. He'll send them right away. Jesus has this all figured out ahead of time. Whatever's going on, and this took place to fulfill what the prophet, what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on the cult of a donkey. This is a prophecy. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them. You probably know this story. And Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that followed Jesus shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred And asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. All right? Let me just just walk through the story with you, okay? First thing is, Jesus borrowed donkeys, okay? I I just want you to, I mean, he borrowed donkeys. Because it says, if someone asks, that implies that they're somebody else's donkey, okay? So the first question is, why didn't God just poof some donkeys out there, right? Right? he created donkeys in the first place. He could have done it again. He could have made a herd of donkeys. He could have made a talking Eddie Murphy donkey, as a matter of fact. That's right, fool. I'm a talking donkey. And I got the son of God on my back. It wasn't very good, Eddie Murphy. But you see, don't you me talk about a triumphal entry. That would have been a good one, right? But he didn't. God borrowed donkeys from someone. Evidently all we can tell is that God had already touched the heart of some random donkey guy and said Hey, my son needs to use your donkey, which is crazy. But then again, that's how it goes with all of us my talents my My money my time your talents your money your time God could do stuff without us, but he doesn't very rarely does he ever do that he usually chooses to work through us which is absurd. The fact that God ever asked you or me for anything is absurd. The fact that, that God sent uh, h- 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 Jesus sent his disciples into town to borrow a couple of donkeys and untie them and bring them to him was absurd. It's extra time and hassle that, that he didn't need to mess with, right? And the fact that God comes to us and asks to borrow things from us is, is ludicrous. The earth is the Lord's and everything is the Lord's. Everything in it is the Lord's. This is so, so when he comes to me and he says, Tim, I want you and your church and the people, uh, the people in your church to reach the people in Chicagoland and around the world so that people can find their way back to me and get all the, get all the thing, barriers out of the way so they can come to me, I, don't, I can't really say, come on, God, how, how's that going to happen? We don't have enough money. We don't have enough buildings. We don't have enough staff. We don't have enough campuses. What I've learned over the years is that when you're in a relationship with the God of the universe, you don't really need the answers to all of your questions. I mean, I'm living this. I'm not saying that we're careless. At Parkview, we've turned down a couple of campus situations recently because it didn't really make sense and we want to make sure we do the right thing. I'm just saying we don't need all the information ahead of time. I've already seen God work in some super insane ways, so if he wants to use my donkey, I'm in. I hope you can say that. When God tells me to do something or to give something, I say, okay, it's your donkey anyway, whatever you want. That's not the only absurdity of Palm Sunday, though. I mean, why did he use a donkey? Why not a Black Hawk helicopter? Why didn't Jesus come in on Air Force One? I mean, Jesus could have come in on a 737 MAX. He doesn't have to worry about the software, right? Why didn't Jesus come in with the angelic choir that scared the snot out of the shepherds when he was born? He came in on a donkey. The donkey was a sign of peace. If a king in that day came in on a horse, it was a time of war. If he came in on a donkey, it was a time of peace. And also, obviously, it had been prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come in on these donkeys. So it was a gesture that the people recognized immediately. That's why they immediately started saying Hosanna and throwing their cloaks down. They were like, this is the the Messiah, this is it. But there's another part of the donkey thing that's really important, and that is that common people have donkeys. Somebody said, if Jesus came in on a donkey, maybe I should get off my high horse. And that's not bad theology, right? But again, Jesus was riding into town on a borrowed donkey. In other words, he was riding into town on the generosity of ordinary people, okay? It was borrowed, but it was borrowed from ordinary people, okay? He said, he said I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do the greatest thing that's ever done. I'm going to tell you how I start Holy Week. I'm going to ride into town on a donkey, and a borrowed donkey, no less. I'm I'm riding in on the generosity of a guy who's got a donkey and is willing to let me use it. And that's how he intends to ride into Chicagoland, into Malawi, into wherever he goes on the generosity of ordinary people. Because ordinary people have donkeys. Donkeys were common. He didn't come in on a thoroughbred racehorse. He didn't come in on that Kentucky Derby horse, maximum security, you know, that was worth millions of dollars. Probably wouldn't have made it into town anyway because it would have veered out of its lane. That was, this is what I'm talking about, okay? I'm just trying to keep up with current events with you, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not an expensive thing to have a donkey. Lots of people had donkeys. But he also didn't walk into town. He's done that plenty of times. This is a special moment. And God does the special stuff in partnership with his generous children. And I love that it says when he arrived, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. They were stirred. Why were they stirred? It's not because of the donkey. (laughs) Oh, look at that donkey and the little colt. Isn't that cute? No, they were stirred by Jesus. But it wouldn't have happened without the donkeys. The donkey owners, the donkey's owner set off a tidal wave in the city. And when Jesus came in on generosity's back, the whole city was stirred. How's it going to happen? Is it going to happen through preaching? Yes. Is it going to happen through a church? Yes. it's going to happen when we live the lives that look like God? Yes. But it's also only going to happen. Jesus is only going to ride into our city on the partnership and generosity of the people that are a part of the kingdom. That's how he enters into the city. And what's fascinating about it is that it's a borrowed donkey, an ordinary person's donkey, but our generosity writes us into the story of God. We've got a guy who owns a couple of donkeys. Louis said, I mean, I'm not in the gospel and you're not in the gospel, but we could have been in the gospel if, if, if we were willing, if we lived in that time and we were willing to untie our donkeys and let Jesus have them when he said he needed them. It's those little acts of responsiveness to God's prompting in our life that writes us into the story of God. It should be crazy to you that the God of the ages, the Alpha and the Omega, chooses to write us into the story of God. But it happened. There's a lady who had a mite. I've got one in this ring on my finger, a widow's mite. We don't know anything about her except that she's in the story of God because she gave it. There's a kid who had five loaves and two fish. All these people gathered around. He seemed to be the only one who was willing to share his lunch. And he did, so he's in the story, right? There are people all throughout the story who are written into the story because of the generosity that they had, their willingness to partner. We talked about Joseph of Arimathea at Easter time. Why do we know about Joseph of Arimathea? Because he loaned Jesus a tomb when he needed it and he's in the story of God. He didn't need to be written into the story of God. This was an account of the resurrection of the Son of God. It wasn't about the tomb. It was about what happened in the tomb. Nothing else and no one else was really of any kind of importance to this story. It changed human history. But in the middle of all of it is a guy named Joe. And we even know where Joe is from. He's from Arimathea because God wanted us to know which Joseph it was. And he's in the story because he chose to invite Jesus to use his tomb. And God invites us into his story. It's not not about preaching or singing or writing a book. We get written into the story when we're available through generosity to God. So why is donkey guy in the story of God? Because he was available through generosity to God. Matter of fact, he wasn't just generous. He was generous. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, yeah. Now he's starting to preach. Listen, I, I, I understand, Okay. I understand. I understand how FOMO works in, okay? I do. Trust me, I do. I understand FOMO in the kingdom. I understand FOMO in this. And the the problem is we see everything else that's out there. And and, and there's so many things that that we can spend our money on. I mean, for crying out loud, I went to Costco on Friday. Do you know that they make light bulbs now, outdoor light bulbs that have bug zappers built into them? This is like, Wheels on luggage, man. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I gotta have some of these. You screw them into your light fixture on the outside of your house and it kills mosquitoes while it has light. I mean, I didn't know those existed until Friday. Now I need to have one. Uh, What I'm saying is that there's so much stuff out there that competes for our resources, right? And then you got social media. You wanna talk about FOMO. It's kinda hard to post your picture of your blizzard from Dairy Queen when your neighbors are posting their, their mojitos from Cancun, right? I mean, it's, it's really hard. I get that. But listen, listen to me. When you're dead and gone, nobody is going to remember what you did for yourself. Nobody is going to go, oh man, I remember when he posted that picture of that hamburger? No. As a matter of fact, nobody cares now about your hamburger. Can I get an amen? All right. I, I, I don't want to see your food, okay? What they're going to remember is the legacy that you left behind because of what God did through you. Now, here's where it starts to really get good. He got the donkey's back. (laughs) You don't ever see any pictures of the crucifixion with Jesus being crucified up there and then a couple of crucified donkeys down below him, do you? No. No. Now, and I know we're not supposed to talk about that because we're supposed to you know, be altruistic and we're supposed to have pure motives and, and be generous, but listen, we're flesh and blood. So let's put this into real terms, okay? Let's just do that for a second. If you, in the heart of kindness and generosity, ever loan anything to God, ever give anything to God, you're going to get it back. I didn't say that. He did, okay? He said that over and over again in Scripture. As a matter of fact, you're going to get it back with interest. I don't know. I don't know what he got back. I don't, I don't know that he got back, you know, like extra donkeys. I don't know if I'm like, wow, there's three of them today. I don't how, where How did that happen? But what I know is... That he got the donkeys back with interest because the Bible says, Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I mean, that's just one of a bunch of scriptures that talk about the fact that whenever you loan something to God, whenever you give something to God, it always comes back. And I can tell you, I live this also. I mean, the funny, thing about, the funny thing about this whole deal is, I mean, until you go to Jerusalem, you can't really picture what goes on. Okay? You know, you can't really picture how the whole thing works. It, because you got, you got, you know, Mount of Olives, so we're thinking like, you know, Rocky Mountains, right, or something like that. And you've got the Kidron Valley that he went down through before he got to Jerusalem. So in your mind, you're thinking, this is a really big, it's, it's like, that's like a hill. It's not a mountain. And this is a ditch. Not a valley, okay? It might be three blocks from, you know, maybe, maybe five blocks from where Jesus probably started his journey down through the valley. And it took a long time because he had to, you know, walk over the coats and the palm branches. But, but, it, but what I'm saying is, like, the donkeys weren't worn out by this journey. It's not even possible. I walked down the path that Jesus would have been on. I did a serpentine the whole way down so I could make sure I had one foot somewhere where Jesus walked. You know, that was just kind of what I I wanted to walk where Jesus walked. So I just went all the way down. didn't take me very long. It wasn't that big deal. And when Jesus gets down there, he gets off the donkeys. And, And you know the guy has been following along. I mean, we don't know the guy, but we know there was a guy. You know the guy was following along. And because, I mean, you know, I don't think it was like, oh, yeah, go ahead, take the donkeys. No big deal. I got stuff to do. I'm like, no, no, no. Jesus wants my donkeys. Jesus is a pretty big deal by this time. Okay. And, and, and he followed along and he watched as all this stuff is going on. And Jesus gets off. He takes the donkeys back home. Walks in the house and goes, babe, it was a really crazy day. You are not going to believe it. You know, the little colt and the big donkey, Jesus... Jesus wrote on them today, and people were on the side of the road waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. I don't know really fully what's going on, but little donkey and big donkey were in it today. They're fine now. It wasn't that big of a deal. They're a little worn out from the enthusiasm, but they're fine. Listen, I guarantee you, you're going to get back whatever you loan to God in the kingdom story. I mean, don't you think the guy at some point later on in his life had a, you know, painting up over the stable? These were the donkeys that Jesus rode on. You know, maybe charge admission to pet the donkeys that Jesus rode on. I, I don't know what happened. But, and the story is not about the donkeys. It's not about the guy. The story is about who was riding on the donkey. But, so we don't walk away and we go, well, that's a cool donkey story. We walk away understanding who Jesus was. That's the important part, that he saved our souls for eternity. But generous guy got to be a part of the story. And at the end of his life, What do you think? Is he's an old man sitting around telling stories to his grandchildren, don't you think this was one of the stories that he told? And now that he's in heaven, I think his name tag says generous. (laughs) Everybody knows what it means. Everybody does. What the question is, is what do I want people to talk about and thank me for at the end of my life? Because if you don't answer those questions now, Costco will eat up all of your resources, okay? If you don't answer those questions now, all of those things that you think you need, that you think you want, are going. the the accumulation and the consumption and the upgrades and, and the fashion and all of that stuff that's available for us now, that's going to become the meaning of my life and I'm going to miss out on what's really important. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If we don't get our priorities straight now, our, our heart follows our treasure, Jesus said. So you got to get, get going the right direction. That's all I'm saying. I want to encourage you with that. If you don't, you're going to be like, like this picture I found of this guy who kind of didn't figure out how to launch the boat really well. Um, you know, I mean, you're, you're going to be going backwards and of course I dug in a little deeper and I figured out why. That's funny right there. I don't care what you say. If you don't get, you could kind of tell it was Photoshopped, couldn't you? If you, don't, if you don't figure out where you're, you're going to go, other people are going to figure out where you're going to go. If you don't decide the direction ahead of time, our culture will pull you where they want you to go. You already know that. And you don't want to spend another season of your life like that. You don't want to get to the end of your life and have them say, well, she ate, she drank, and she was merry, and then she died. Right? I mean, that's not a legacy. And when you answer the big question, you start wrapping your heart around the answer to the big question, then this will go where it needs to go and your heart will follow it at the same time. Your donkey is a tool, your money is a tool, your stuff is a tool. We know this. We've lived long enough to know this. I just want to take a moment and speak to those of you that are followers of Jesus. If you're not fully convinced about this, don't worry about it. I just, I, and we're not taking up an offering. You don't have cards to fill out. None of that stuff is going on. I just want, to, I want the family to understand this. When we signed on to be followers of Jesus, what we said was, Jesus, you're in charge. You're the captain of my ship. You know the best way to live. And part of that is about being generous. So we're going to spend the rest of our days learning to follow you in every area of our life. We believe you're the smartest person ever, and we're going to follow you. It would be stupid for us not to do what you taught us. And the number one thing he taught about was generosity and stewardship and how we manage our donkeys. If you're a believer of Jesus, but you aren't intentionally choosing to grow in the area of generosity, then you have work to do. And I do, too. And I still do. And I don't have this figured out either. I've been a tither all of my life. We've always given. But, but this, isn't, this isn't about a guilt thing. This is about, am I still growing? Am I still growing in my faith? Just good to know where you stand. And for those of you who say you're a Jesus follower, you need to ask this question. Do I believe what Jesus taught about how I relate to money? And if you do, are you following it? And if not, how can I take my next step in growing in this area of followership of my life? I think the first most important step is to become intentional. It's to become intentional. It's to get your trailer backing in before your truck. It's to get your priorities in whack. And that only happens as you take a hold of it and make it happen. So make your generosity a habit. I think it's more important than the amount you give. If you've, if you've always been a sporadic giver and, and, you know, sometimes you give and sometimes you don't. And you get to the end and you do your taxes and you're like, oh, I didn't really give as much as I thought I was going to. The way that you fix that is, is by a predetermined way like online giving to give on a regular basis. That's, that's the first growth thing for you. And we have a new platform. Most of you that are part of our church know this now. To help you with that, we switched over platforms to make it a, it's a better platform. So that meant you had to go in and do some things uh, along the way. Um, but, but I wanna encourage all of us, as we head into summer, this is where we get a hold of it. This is where we get a hold of the fact that, that, that the work we do in Malawi might be more important than a light bulb that kills mosquitoes. It only happens if it goes ahead of time, right? And you can go on our website, go click give, it's very simple, and it's an easy way for you to figure out how to get your giving set up online. You can also, even easier, is you can put in your campus keyword, depending on where you're at, your campus keyword, and text 77977, and it will, in about two minutes, it will help you and instruct you how to give through this new app and this new system that we have. For those of you that are still figuring out the things of God, you're not off the hook. You still need to ask yourself this question, what do I want to be defined by at the end of my days? What do I want people to talk about and thank me for at the end of my life? It was right about this time 30 years ago that uh, I'd been in youth ministry for about six years and I I, I felt like God was calling me to to preach. It was time time to go take my own place. And uh, that summer I was friends with a youth pastor whose sister and brother-in-law, Doug and Sharon, were in this church. And one thing led to another. Late in 1989, I accepted the call to the Tinley Park Church of Christ. My daughter that you met last week was two when we moved here. We didn't have any family here. We didn't particularly want to live here. We were from a part of the country that has a season called spring. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've heard of it. But God said, no, I, I want you to be generous. I mean, actually, God said, I want you to be the donkey. So we, so we were. I was a big donkey. My wife was a little donkey. And we had our little herd of donkeys that started to bring the, the love of Jesus into the south suburbs. And none of us had any idea what was going to happen. None of us who worked to build this church had any idea. None of us who sacrificed our donkeys and let God use our donkeys had any idea of what was going to happen. And I wish every one of those people could have been in some of the lines that I've been in over the last couple of weeks. Where I've just been at our campuses just talking to people about what God's done in their life. I wish every one of those people could have been and hear hear these people in line say, this church saved my life. I heard that so many times, not just, not just like my marriage, not, my, not about my soul, my, like literally my life. It took us 12 years to get things going and, and, and get the church focused on what it was supposed to be about and then we bought our property at our Orland Park campus. The picture of the groundbreaking in our dapper suits back in the day it was Lonnie talking and, and praying, and and then I mean we put up the steel structure that was our very first church building. That was in 2002 when we got moved in. There's a picture of one of those donkeys named Daryl Swanberg right there mowing the grass back before we even had the building going up. This picture of Mike youngest daughter, who's now 26, uh, you know, and, and we just were over there checking things out one day. There's the first park you've signed going up on the corner of 183rd and Wolf, which had been previously a pig farm, and there were no houses around 183rd, Orland Parkway didn't even go through it, was a dirt road. It's crazy to think about how much things have changed along the way. And, and then there was one more picture, which is kind of the whole impetus for why I was thinking about what I was thinking this week. And that's my friend Joe Prattle, whose funeral I did a couple of weeks ago. My age, um, just, you know, got an infection and, and passed away. Shouldn't have happened, but it did. And that was Joe mowing the grass, and he was just this amazing donkey. <laughs> his wife sitting down there shaking her head. Yes, he was. You know what I know? Joe's having coffee with Jesus right now. And and Jesus is not talking to Joe about his golf accomplishments. He's not talking to Joe saying, boy, you sure had a cool house. He's not talking to Joe about how fun the bulls were to watch back in the 90s. Jesus is saying, Joe, thanks for being generous. Joe, someday you're going to meet thousands of people who were impacted because your heart was about the kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. And every single one of you who invested along the way into kingdom projects know exactly what I'm talking about. If you were here when we f- built that first building in 2002, uh, or when we expanded into the auditorium, bigger auditorium in Orland, or when we when we renovated the Lockport campus and went multi-site for the first time, or when we repositioned the, it, that into the Homer Glen campus and you were a part of that, maybe that's where you're worshiping now, or you were part of the New Lenox campus, every single baptism, every single marriage that was healed, every single person who comes to know Jesus is worth the investment and you know that. You got your donkey back and the interest was to see what God has done. And I guarantee you that none of those people are sitting around thinking, boy, I sure wish I had more money to buy light bulbs that killed mosquitoes. And here's the thing, nobody may know your name or what you've done. We don't know donkey guy's name either. We know what he did. Most of you never met Joe, either. You wouldn't have even known Joe if I had told you this story, but he's in the story. He's in the story about Jesus. Joe's in there. Joseph of Frankfurt. Doesn't sound as cool as Arimathea, but he's in there. I just want to encourage you, to be generous because when you are, you get written into the story of God and you will never regret. Father God, I just thank you for writing me into this story. And I want to pray right now for two of my friends who are pastors who are preaching their last sermons at their church because they're retiring and one of them this weekend, one of them next weekend. I just want to pray that you'll be with them in the emotion of the things that are going on because I can't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. That, that just seems so far off in my mind because I'm so excited. My blood pressure's up. I'm so excited about the things that you're going to do at Parkview, and I don't want my retirement sermon to happen for a very, very long time because we've been a part of this story for a long time, and I believe, like Richie said, that you're about to do even immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, and I pray for the hearts of our people that we will be open, that we will be generous, that we will be the people who, when you ask us for something, we say, sure, so that we can watch what you do. So that we can watch the kingdom and someday look back and and say, I was a part of that. Be with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.